What would Matilda do? What would Matilda do? I like that. I'm gonna make myself a t-shirt. <laughs> what would Matilda do? <laughs> this film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, alright? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. sci-fi classic that has absolutely no time for fascists. It's Matilda, and this film is lit. Welcome back to the 21st episode of This Film is Lit. On today's episode, we're talking about Matilda. So let's get into our first segment and do a little brief synopsis about... Matilda. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Matilda. Hi, Dad. Get in the car, Melinda. Matilda. Whatever. Who was extraordinary in every way. Pretty soon you'll be able to do any multiplication, whether it's 2 times 7, 14, or 13 times 379. 4,927. Wow. All right, Katie, go ahead and give us a synopsis of Matilda. All right. In Matilda, a um, book by Roald Dahl movie directed by Danny DeVito. A young girl, Matilda, our title character, um, is born into a family who doesn't appreciate the fact that she's a genius. Um, They're all kind of idiots, kind of awful people. Um, She goes to a school ruled over by an absolute tyrant. Basically, this is about a story this is a story about a kid who gets revenge on all of the awful tyrannical adults in her life, and she does so when she discovers that she has um powers, essentially telekinesis. She can move things with her mind. Mhm. That's it. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's that's the premise. That's the premise. <laughs> So, in case you haven't seen or read Matilda, that's what we're working with here. Now, let's get into our real first segment. Guess who? Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right, we've got four today. They're fairly short. Okay. He was a small, ratty-looking man whose front teeth stuck out underneath a thin, ratty mustache. He liked to wear jackets with large, brightly colored checks, and he sported ties that were usually yellow or pale green. That would be Mr. Wormwood. Yes, that's her dad. <laughs> Very <laughs> spot on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little mustache and the checkered jackets. Yeah, the, the awful used car salesman mm-hmm. uniform. Yep, there you go. One for one. Nailed it. She was a large woman 
whose hair was dyed platinum blonde, except where you could see the mousy brown bits growing out from the roots. She wore heavy makeup, and she had one of those unfortunate bulging figures where the flesh appears to be strapped in all around the body to prevent it from falling out. This seems far too easy this week. Uh, that would be Mrs. Wormwood. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Killing it. She had a lovely, pale, oval Madonna face with blue eyes, and her hair was light brown. Her body was so slim and fragile, one got the feeling that if she fell over, she would smash into a thousand pieces, like a porcelain figure. I feel pretty confident to say that would be Miss Honey. Yes, it is. Well then, I'm going to go four for four this week, I have a feeling, unless you're throwing me a zinger here at the end. She was exceptionally small for her age a skinny little nymph with deep brown eyes and with dark hair that was cut in a fringe across her forehead. Well, unless you're throwing me a real curveball here, that would be the titular Matilda. That actually was my curveball. Wait! It's... uh, What's her name? Uh, Now hang on, hang on. I already told you you were wrong. But I'm second guessing. It's uh, the her friend Violet. Second or guess after I know. you already know you're wrong. Yeah, it's lavender. Lavender. You could guess with Violet though. Very close. I said lavender or Violet. I could, <laughs> it was one of the two. I was like, it's some color, <laughs> some purple color. <laughs> Couldn't remember which one. <laughs> uh, see, okay, fair enough. Because that could have easily. Yeah, that Matilda could have very easily and... yeah, described Matilda. But I am actually going to, uh, maybe the day after the episode comes out, mm-hmm. I'm going to post some like side-by-side pictures. Oh, because there are pictures in there. Yeah, there are illustrations right. in the book um, of the illustrations and the characters from the movie because it's really clear that they went to great lengths to make the characters look like they just popped out of the book. Cool, three for four. That'll be. I'll, I'm uh, interested to see those illustrations. So, look out for those on Facebook and Twitter and the like. Wednesday. Let's move on to Sound the book. Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right, uh, I have a handful here. We hit a lot of the high points, the big scenes, the things that people most remember. From Matilda, so if they even haven't seen it in a long time, they'll probably still remember these scenes. Probably. And would then, uh, it would be interesting to know whether or not they were drawn from the book or created for the film. So, not all of them, but most of them. First thing is, uh, is a single line, and the reason I ask is because I know you really like this movie, um, and we don't have to go ahead and hold out your backstory, but I, this line was something that I identified as being something that you identified with very thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to know if it was created for the movie or if it did, in fact, come from Roald Dahl in the book. That line is, it's, uh, it's narration by Danny DeVito, the narrator in, this, in, in, the, in the film. These books gave Matilda a hopeful and comforting message. You are not alone. Is that line from the book? It's not in the book. Well, there you go. Yeah, they they added that one in for the script, and um, actually, a, a lot of the really good lines were yeah. added for the movie, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, uh, my next one is the hammer throwing of children. 
Does that take place in the book? It does. I figured. <laughs> Some of these are definitely, I figured they were in the book. Uh, the hammer throwing of children just wanted, uh, I guess it only happens once in the movie. It was funny because in my recollection it happened twice. For some reason, I had it yeah. happening again later in the film. You might have. She does throw a kid, at and the I think end. that's probably what I was yeah. thinking of when she throws the kid in the end. She of doesn't the classroom. hammer throw him, but she doesn't hammer throw him. It's more like a javelin toss. Yes, at the end. Yes, and but we discussed in the prequel episode that that scene where she does hammer throw the girl by her pigtails, uh, the actress playing Miss Trunchbull ripped off the end of her finger mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm. because there was like a rope harness going to the girl that she was using to swing her around, basically. Well, I should hope so. Yeah, so that's. <laughs> The hammer throwing of, <laughs> is it because the girl has pigtails? Is yes, it, it is, yeah. yeah. Okay. Was that sort of also at the introduction of Matilda to the school? That you um, yes, she hasn't been at the school very long. She actually, in the book, she meets Miss Honey before she meets oh. Miss Trunchbull. But yeah. it is right there around the beginning. Okay, cool. Hammer throwing of children in the book it's very rolled doll. it is that's a lot of the <laughs> things that i asked i'm assuming are because they are very rolled doll they seem like the sort of thing that would be in a rolled doll book yeah so on the along those lines the chocolate cake eating scene yes it is of in the course book. it is in the book <laughs> i know that's gonna be one of the scenes that everybody remembers even yeah. if they haven't even seen the movie in years everybody remembers that scene it always made me want chocolate cake when i was a kid and then didn't make no, me want chocolate cake. It still later. made me want oh. chocolate cake. I mean, it it just even though I like the scene where the, the the cook comes out and she's all gross was gross, but the cake still looked fine. Like <laughs> I, you know, it does look really moist. It looks really moist and delicious, and I always like, God damn, that cake looks good. I really <laughs> want chocolate cake. All right, uh, this is a slightly nuanced one in the movie. We're uh, we learn that Miss Honey tells Matilda this story about a little girl whose father uh, died, who lived in this house, that, and she, they're standing in front of Miss Trunchbull's house, uh, whose father died, and then uh, her evil aunt adopted her, basically. And then she says, but it's okay, because the little girl grew up and got her own cottage. And then we realize that that's Miss Honey as she's telling the story as an audience, how is that story revealed to the readers in the book? Because what I liked about it in the movie, and I don't want to get too much into it, but that they didn't play it as some, which they very could have easily done, play it as a third act reveal. Yeah, like a plot like a, twist. Whoa, what? Uh, but they don't do that because Matilda is just smart and realizes, mm-hmm. like she's not a dumb kid. She realizes as Miss Honey's telling her this story that, Miss Honey's talking right. about herself. So, so we already know, so it's not a plot twist for us. It, okay. it is for the rest of the kids. But um, Right, it is. And that, yeah. that is kind of the, they kind of have their chocolate cake and eat it too, <laughs> to some extent. Where the kids get the twist in the third act because they have no idea. Right. But the audience, all we know. And, yeah, it's, we and know. it's not even, it's not even like it's hinted at and we know it's just outright stated that that's the case. So in the book, how do you find that out early or is it? Yeah, it plays out very similarly. She goes home with Miss Honey to have tea, um, and she tells her this story. Yeah. Um, It's a little different in that um, the way it plays out in the movie, we know that she's talking about Miss Trunchbull the whole time, and then the reveal is that the little girl was her. Yeah. Um, 
in the book, it's more like we know that the little girl was Miss Honey, and then, and then she reveals yeah. that the aunt was Miss Trunchbull. Yeah. So it's it's flipped in a sense. Yeah. But we do find out about it before that kind of final act. Yeah. See, I almost like. I guess I could see it both ways. I almost like the one, the version where we know it's Miss Honey the whole time because mm-hmm. that's more obvious that she, yeah. when she's telling this story about this little girl that like, it's more obvious that it's about her. So that mm-hmm. if the, the twist would reveal, the revealing twist was that it was Miss Trunchbull might've been more interesting, but we can talk about that again later. Maybe not. I don't know. I, it yeah. might've been more of a, of a surprise, I guess. I think it's interesting both ways. Um, part of what I like about the way the movie does it is that they're walking past the house, yeah. so they have kind of a natural segue into it that does make, story. Yeah, it does come up because she's like, oh, it's Miss Trunchbull's house. Yeah. yeah. All right. A couple more things. Matilda the Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny, and I got it for the suspense of the moment and sort of the gag, the visual reveal for the audience. So when they're Miss Honey and Matilda are in Miss Trunchbull's house later in the, uh, in the second act of the film and they're going mm-hmm. around, there's a scene where it, Matilda ends up in the kitchen and Miss Trunchbull comes running in and she hides under the table. And there's the tension moment of yeah, Miss Trunchbull yeah. bending like down. a long tablecloth. So yeah. she can't see her right away. Miss Trunchbull bends down to, thinks she's under the table, bends down, and we see Matilda under the table. And then the moment she pulls up the tablecloth, Matilda's not there. And then the camera tilts up, and Matilda is (laughs) ninja-pressed into the... Like, with her arms and legs extended, like you would see a ninja in a hallway, Yeah, you know, before they drop on somebody, uh, holding herself up in the table. And she does this for a good minute or two yeah so does that happen in the book um that whole scene where they break into her house is not in the book the first so that first time when neither both time. of them oh okay well i guess nobody breaks in the, the second yeah. time but interesting well now no. we're finding out those weren't in the book <laughs> i want to talk about that a little more okay. a little later but um neither of those things are in the book so i can't offer any further clarity on her ninja skills so matilda the ninja is not canon not for the book (laughs) that's what i mean yeah Yeah. it's not book canon (laughs) all right uh i just thought it was kind of funny i was like i i had forgotten about that and to me that was like such an early 90s kids movie thing it 100 percent was and yeah i understand it for the sort of suspense and the and the the gag of it Mm mm-hmm but it also makes no sense. No, it's just goofy. It's just goofy, and it doesn't fit her character. Like, we have no reason to think she has any sort of... Yeah. Like... Like, they don't show her, like, doing cartwheels yeah, or Yeah, yeah. She has no reason even. to think she has any sort of strength to do stuff like that or or anything. You know, it would have been nice if they would have found a, a way to do that similar gag where she used her wits. I mean, she does to some extent, I guess. Yeah. But that is 99%... <laughs> perspiration and one percent inspiration (laughs) (laughs) and it just it doesn't really fit her character i didn't think uh so i thought that was kind of strange but it it is you know it gets a laugh and like a moment but anyways all right so neither scene where matilda and miss honey break in or the scene where matilda goes back and and retrieves the doll and the chocolates neither of those are in the book all right final one for was that in the book uh the end of the film 
Miss Trunchbull has been chased from the school and mm-hmm. has left the house and the money to Miss Honey. Mm-hmm. And Matilda's parents are on the run from the police, basically. Yes. Or the feds, I guess, actually, more accurately. For uh, fraud and blah, 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 whatnot. And as they're running, they, they have one moment, or they have one, uh, their, their lone and final act of decency, as the movie pretty much explains, they basically sign adoption papers giving Matilda to Miss Honey. Does that happen in the book? Yes. It does? Yes. And is it the, in the similar way, or in the same? Yeah, very similar. I mean, there are, like, minute differences. Right. Like, they're going to Spain instead of Guam, okay. stuff like that. Um, but it, it plays out the same way, and she gets to stay with Miss Honey. Okay. And it is sort of uh, seen as their... I don't know if... The, I, I wonder if that... If, I would imagine that line probably isn't, and I don't want to put you on the spot necessarily, but the line about the narrator says, and possibly the first and only decent thing they've ever done in their lives or something like mm-hmm. that. Is there is that line, or is there anything, an allusion to that sort of um not a redemptive moment but somewhat of a redemptive moment and also the there's a almost a sweet but not really but almost moment between matilda and her mom yeah and i was wondering if that where where her mom was like i never understood you and you know like i <laughs> i don't know how you're my daughter <laughs> nothing alike but you know i never really, you know it's almost sweet in a weird way but it's it's you know it's, it's kind of not still and i was wondering if that sort of feel is there at all where it almost feels like they're they were we're supposed to like like them a bit for this yeah you know what and I mean? the, yeah in the movie it does play as kind of redemptive and it's not redemptive yeah, but some there's like that little yeah. the little touch of the spark of yeah. redemption or something um it uh, doesn't in okay. the book i i wouldn't say that that kind of spark is there um, I, I mean, aside from the fact that they let her stay. That they do, yeah. Yeah. That's all I have for was that in the book. So let's move on to Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Wow. Was it lost? Yes. Yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. I have kind of two things. One of them, I thought this would be a good place. And the first thing we'll discuss. Well, let's let's do my other one first and then we'll get into the second part. Mm-hmm. So for my first one, is there any more given on or is there any more concrete explanation or discussion of Miss Honey's father's death? Is it made any more? Because the illusion in the movie, and it's maybe stronger than allu- in, allu- in illusion, is that Miss Trunchbull killed him, poisoned him or something. Is that the same idea in the book? Yeah, it's the exact same. They think they they rule it as a suicide, but the implication is that maybe she did away with them. Okay, but there's not any more concrete. No, nothing like, more concrete. Okay, I just didn't know if maybe there was something else, uh, some other scene or something that sort of made it more for sure that was what happened or not. I, which you don't need. I mean, we you we know yeah. she did. Yeah, like that's the implication. But I was, okay, I was just wondering. So, the second thing, let's knock that out, it's kind of a note I had. Second thing, and this is where we'll get into our discussion from the prequel episode, 
let's revisit our sci-fi versus fantasy discussion. Mm-hmm. And I think Lost in Adaptation is a, probably a good place to do it. What do we think now? Rewatching it. Rewatch and reread. Do we think it's sci-fi yeah. or do we think it's fantasy? I mean, I argued more for sci-fi. Somebody had to. Yeah. Um, I think in a, in a traditional sense, it probably fits more into fantasy. Um, and the movie more so than the book. Uh, the, the movie, her powers are definitely filmed to look more like traditional yeah. magic powers. Like, yeah. it, it looks like Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, it just looks like telekinesis. Yeah. And just, yeah. Um, in the books, there's more of a, an implication that she has to, like, focus really hard and, like, the things that she can do are pretty limited. Yeah. Um, like, she's not, like, controlling multiple things and, like, making and, like, it look super easy. Yeah, because there's literally almost a scene in this movie when she, once she really learns how to control her powers where it's, like, the scene in the fourth, no, fifth, sixth Harry Potter book slash movie where they go to recruit uh, Horace Slughorn and, he, and then Dumbledore. It's in the movie is when we see it, but Dumbledore reassembles the... <laughs> Yeah. The living room and all the stuff's flying yeah. everywhere. There's a moment where she's in the living room and there's stuff just flying everywhere. And it reminded me of that a little bit. So, yeah, it is kind of more traditional, like, magic. Mm-hmm. Like, she can just make whatever she wants, do whatever she wants, kind of. In, in, in telekinesis terms. Right. Um, from the way it reads in the book, it, it sounds... It almost sounds more like like Eleven from Stranger Things, yes. where it's like taxing for her, right? And there are limitations on what she can do and what she can't do. Yeah. So the book, I wouldn't even necessarily classify it as sci-fi, but it feels more sci-fi than the movie. Okay. Here's the thing: I'm actually having rewatched it and thought about it some more. I'm more on the sci-fi side than I was. I still don't think it it's safe. I would call. I don't think I would call it sci-fi. Mm-hmm. But I am much more accepting of that label on it. I mean, in my intro, that was what I used, kind of tongue in cheek, but not really, because I do think that you there is an argument to be made that. And I think you do get more illusions in the film than maybe you give it credit for that it is taxing on her. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, but it, it seems like it at times. She definitely has to concentrate really hard. Like, that's how she learns to do all this right. stuff. She has to concentrate and focus really hard. And now maybe she gets a little too good at, like, to where eventually in right. the movie She's it sort of seems like, like she can just do whatever she wants all the time. Yeah. So maybe it goes a little over the top for the sake of the movie because that's more visually interesting yeah. to have her, like, making whole rooms of shit fly around and like point point her finger at the walls and you know do whatever she wants but i think there's an argument to made and it's interesting that you bring up stranger things because i think most people would probably classify stranger things as sci-fi yeah with there's fantasy elements to some extent because obviously they play into the ideas of like the upside down and the Mm -hmm. demogorgon but those are all sort of implied to be Meta, like physical slash metaphysical like right there's the implication that it's another dimension that is a dimension and it's, that, it, that it is science and i'm air quote science based <laughs> to some extent and i think this movie does the same thing they have a throwaway line and it's a line i hate because it plays on a a really obnoxious and 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 
certifiably incorrect fact, which is the throwaway line is it said, that, and they do say it's said, but they still say <laughs> it. <laughs> it's said that humans only use a small percentage of their brains. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, implying along the lines that if you used more than the 10% of your brain that we use, we could make shit fly around the room or what. Right. Which is stupid because that's not how that works. <laughs> and it's patently untrue that we only use 10% of our whatever nonsense cliche. But there is in the light in, in a similar vein to something like Stranger Things. And what we talked about in the prequel episode, there is the implication that anybody who was pretty smart, maybe not pretty smart, mm-hmm. super brilliant. I mean, because let's, she's not kind of pretty smart. She they 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 say she could go to Miss Honey's like she could go to college when she's eight. Yeah, because she's like what six in the movie, six and a half. Yeah, she says she's in the like beginning, a genius. And she, she could go to college. Yeah, by the time she's ten, so she's. She's not pretty smart. She's like yeah. a like a savant, you know, top one percent. Oh yeah, genius. So the movie though tries to imply that okay, so sure, it maybe it's only that one percent of people or whatever. But if they were born in the right circumstances, and now again we get into the discussion that okay, if they're born in the right circumstances, they're right. super duper smart. Okay, that's basically the same thing as the universe going. You have magic powers. It's the same kind of the same thing. But there is at least an attempt at some sort of, it's her brain is way smarter and it's still natural, but yeah. it's. Well, I mean, to me, the bigger thing is that at least what they theorize within the story, within both the movie and the book, is that it does come from her brain. So it's it's coming from something that's real. It's not like, yeah. oh, she was gifted these powers from the gods. Or, or, yeah, or from or the universe. From the or not even the universe, natural... but from like some, yeah, like the force. Yeah. Or some, something that, they, yeah. So I, I, can, I can buy sci-fi more uh, on re-watching it and thinking about it some more. It's... When I looked it up on Wikipedia, it is classified as uh, children's literature slash fantasy, but that's that's just Wikipedia. But I mean, I think there are definitely there's more fantasy. I think there are elements you could argue as sci-fi. Definitely more fantasy. I'd maybe call it fantasy sci-fi. Yeah, fantasy sci-fi. I think is a perfectly reasonable way to, to to classify it. But it's funny because I guess my point ultimately is that. When you said originally, I want to talk about sci-fi versus fantasy for Matilda, I was like, what? Why? <laughs> like, I was like, this. I hadn't seen it in years, but I was like, it's a fantasy. Like, what are you talking It's fantasy. She's got magic powers. It's hair. Like, what are you talking about? But on rewatching and your, our discussion of it, I do see more. I do see why you would play something or, or consider putting it in a sci-fi slash fantasy mm-hmm. genre as opposed to just fantasy. Again, it's probably not just sci-fi. Not probably. It's definitely not just yeah. sci-fi. But uh, you can you can get there with what we've discussed about it. Yeah. You so can make a good enough argument. You can make a good enough argument, uh, I think, and I th- uh, which it was interesting because I wasn't expecting that when when we first started talking about reviewing this movie or talking about this movie slash book. So brought all my banging rhetoric skills yeah. to that party. Got me with the rhetoric, <laughs> the hot rhetoric. <laughs> But that's all I have for Lost in Adaptation. We're still settling on sci-fi slash fantasy. Our poll came out. I guess we could have looked it way came, on the fantasy out, side. Yeah. 
But I have Way a feeling most of the people who voted didn't listen to our discussion about <laughs> it. Was sort of the vibe I got. Yeah. But uh, because, like I said, like like I did, like if you just hear that question and you saw the movie once mm-hmm. five years ago or read the book when you were a kid or haven't thought about it since, sure, yeah, it's fantasy. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. But eh, think back on it. Think again. More people listen to this episode. <laughs> and now we've discussed it again. So think about think about it. And listen to the prequel episodes. <laughs> Let's move on to Better in the Book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. So, um, this is one of those adaptations where it's pretty dang close. But I do have a few key things that I would like to hit on. So for better in the book, uh, at the beginning of the book, before she realizes she has these powers, um, similar to the movie, she plays pranks, pranks in air quotes, on her family. Um, And the two that we see her do... The peroxide in her dad's hair and then the super glue. Those are in the book. Okay. There's another one in the book where she, one of her friends in the neighborhood, this boy who lives in her neighborhood, has a talking parrot. And the parrot says things like, rattle my bones and like creepy things. Okay. So she borrows the parrot from this kid and she sticks the whole cage up the chimney which i mean questionable treatment of animals yeah. but stay with Come on, me Matilda. <laughs> so she puts the whole thing up the chimney hides it and then her family's just like sitting there having dinner and starts to hear this disembodied voice <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty good um so it's a pretty fun scene and i get why it was cut um it doesn't fit thematically quite as well and they have to introduce this other yeah, character. Yeah, they'd have to and introduce bird, another character and, and the bird. They'd have to yeah. get a bird. They'd yeah. have to put it in a chimney. Yeah, there's a lot of. There would be a, a lot of a lot of uh, moving parts there. Yeah. Um. So I totally get why it was cut, but it is a really fun scene. So if you decide to read the book, you can look forward to that. <laughs> Speaking of the sabotage or the the prank scenes, mm-hmm. it one of my favorite films. Not one of my favorite film of all time is Amelie. And I could not help but think of so when when she does that prank on her dad with the peroxide mm-hmm. reminded me so much of the scene from Amelie where she pranks her mean neighbor who runs the fruit stand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Wait, Matilda is Amelie. She grew up <laughs> and she moved to France <laughs> and got a French accent." <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was very similar. Uh, and Amelie came out. Five years after the, uh, mm-hmm. Matilda, and I just wondered. And they're not shot exactly the same. There's some similar visual styles between the films because Devito or his slash his DP uh, are into that sort of surrealist, exaggerated visual style that uh, uh, Jean Pierre Jeanette, I believe, is Jeanette. I can't. I think it's Jean Pierre Jeanette, um, the director of Amelie, is a big is really into and really good at. But it, it made me wonder if. If there was any inspiration from Matilda in 
the scene from Amelie, and who knows, but could be, could be. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. What else is better in the book? Um. Okay. So, the Newt scene. I don't mind the way that it plays out in the movie. I don't have a problem with it. Um. So the way it plays out in the movie, the kids are out playing in a creek and they find this Newt, and uh, Lavender has it in a jar. And then when Miss Trunchbull comes to teach to teach their class, she um, has this stroke of genius. And I think the narrator literally says, like, sometimes ideas are planned, yeah. sometimes they just hit us. Yeah, something along um, those lines. Yeah, something along those lines. Uh, she has a stroke of genius, and she puts the newt into the water pitcher for Miss Trunchbull, um, resulting in hilarity. Um, so in the book, it's like all her doing like she goes out and she catches the newt on her own and doesn't tell any about anybody about it and then she like has this all it's premeditated oh in the book she has this all planned out oh so she yeah. catches the newt intentionally yeah too, she catches it... the newt intentionally intending to put it into the picture gotcha um and i i felt like that was maybe a better character moment for, for her. her yeah i can see that yeah Again, I could see why they changed it in the context of they wanted that scene mm-hmm. because for the fun, you know, nonsense yeah. of it. But they didn't want to try to explain yeah, all of that, it, it of her been going a whole out thing. and it, Yeah. Whereas if she just has it and then in the moment is like, ha, ah, like. Because yeah. we, we don't ever get to know her motivations. Like, we're not in her head. I guess we have a narrator, so they could have, he could have said something i mean they could have just changed the line the narrator said where he was like you know and she little did her classmates know she had this new <laughs> for a reason blah 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 you know they, yeah. she, they could have done that with a narrator but i, and, I mean like i said i don't necessarily mind it in the movie um i just think that the way the book did it was like i said a, a better character moment for yeah. lavender uh the thing where her brother throws a carrot at her and she makes it spin around in the air and sends it flying back at him. I hate that. In the movie? Yeah. I yeah. hated it. That's a trailer moment. Yeah. I mean, that's it was. I remember it vividly from the trailers for the movie, I feel like. So obviously that's not in the book. Yeah. I hated it. Okay. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's four seconds and it's what it, it's whatever. But I know. Yeah. It's, it's cheesy. Yeah. Um, not that the movie isn't cheesy, yeah. it is, but it was, it was extra cheesy. Okay. Um, similarly, that last scene where she, like, makes the kid fly around, not in the book. Mm, okay. Didn't really like it. So when the final scene, Miss Trunchbull throws the kid out the window, and Matilda makes him fly and loop-de-loop and then fly back into the room. Yeah, no, not in the book. She doesn't throw a kid out the window and that in that scene okay the but book. there was there because i wondered that because that's a callback to earlier in the film where mm-hmm. they say she threw a kid out of yeah. the window is that in the book the first time or the story of her throwing yes okay so i feel like they they put that in specifically so that they could have that sort of callback to it mm-hmm. um it i will say this it it's the really the only thing in the movie that has aged really poorly. Yeah, the special effects. Yeah, because yeah. everything else, it's mostly practical in the sense that it's mostly objects on strings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, they've come up with, you know, clever ways to make objects fly around. 
and mostly using strings and you know they're mm-hmm. the only couple shots of cg that i are, that i actively noticed was there the scene where all the poker chips fly off the the thing which there were clearly cg poker chips but mm-hmm. it looks okay and it's a quick shot and then when all the stuff's flying around the room it's cg but it's all moving quickly and it's small and it's, yeah i didn't really notice you can't that. tell it is but it's hard to tell mm-hmm. and it's and it works out but that scene where the kid is flying mm-hmm. is has and I, aged yeah i noticed it too in the first one where she hammer throws the little girl it's not as bad because that one there is maybe a second of it, but most yeah. of, she's in the air for such a brief amount of time, and most of it is just shots of her, yeah. like creatively shot where it's like looking up at the sky from underneath her, and her hair's blowing, or like, and then like when she's sliding across the ground, like it's mostly shot practically mm-hmm. to imitate the idea that she's flying. I don't remember like the bad green screen of her. Mm-hmm. Like, but the the last scene with the boy, yeah, he is badly is, green screen yeah, or composited, rough. badly composited into the shot, and it just doesn't look good. Yeah, and yeah, it's a little, uh, mm. and it, it it just also felt unnecessary because you had so much other stuff going on. Right, that it was just like, what else are we gaining by that? Well, and I just I felt like it was tonally dissonant too. Like it was, it's kind of a serious scene. Yeah. And then she like making this kid fly around, and there's like, like fun music playing, and yeah. And... yeah, I agree. It just uh, it, it didn't need to be in there. They yeah. just wanted something really over the top, because you know her flying, I guess, erase ch- uh, chalk erasers and mm-hmm. slamming chalk erasers around, and then making lavender jump ten feet in the air is not. I guess that's not dramatic <sighs> enough. Quite dramatic enough would be my guess, but yeah, it's it has not aged well. So that's all I have for better in the book. Okay. So we'll move on to Better in the Movie. All right, let's talk Better in the Movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So I mentioned earlier that a lot of the really good lines were added. Yes. Um, And one in particular that I I love that I had forgotten about, Um, one that her dad says to her, when a person is bad, that person has to be taught a lesson. Yeah. And he says person yeah. instead of child. And they make a point of that because yeah. it, that's the thing. That's interesting. That's not in the book. Because that's the thing that sort of sparks, to some extent, Matilda's whole <laughs> revenge spree in this movie. Well, she does, like, she does get the idea that she's going to, like, punish her parents for, it's, they say for being beastly to her because right. it's a British children's yeah. book. Um, <laughs> but it's not, um, spurred by that particular line. And I love that line. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting. And I, I thought that was kind of funny that that was the thing that sort of, she goes, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. I can do that. <laughs> I mean, the logic follows. It's not just kids. He yeah. said person, it's anybody. <laughs> um, the stolen car parts side plot, much better done in the film. Okay. That's present in the book, but kind of not till like the very end. Yeah. Um, and it almost feels like a not a Deus Ex Machina, but, but a bit. Like, yeah, but a bit. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like you know, her dad's a crook because yeah. he's selling shitty cars with sawdust in the engines and yeah. whatnot. But the the whole like. That the, the idea that the feds are after him kind of comes out of nowhere at the end of the book. Yeah. So I thought that was um, much better done. 
I mean, I guess it makes sense in the book that maybe Matilda wouldn't necessarily know about it. Yeah. Because she's a little kid. She's a little kid. But it does just kind of pop out of nowhere. Yeah. At the end of, at the end of the story. Yeah. And she's an incredibly smart little kid, so she might notice. Yeah. yeah. I, also, when you when you add the more of the the feds going after them backstory, you get to cast Paul Rubens as one of the <laughs> FBI agents. Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, yeah. which I had forgotten he was one of the uh, FBI guys, which was funny, but it's like, holy shit, it's Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> so the scene where she's reading Moby Dick in the movie, mm-hmm. which I posted a screen cap of. You did post about of, this on Facebook and on stuff. The, yeah, on, on their social, social media. media. Because that was a joke that went right over my head <laughs> as a seven-year-old. Um, so in the book, she's reading The Red Pony by John Steinbeck and not Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good change. The idea in the book is that, well, I mean, her dad just doesn't like books because right. he's an asshat. Right. Um, but the the idea is that he... He gets mad that she's reading, like, an American writer because Americans only write trash. Because, <laughs> again, it's British. <laughs> God. Um, so I thought the switch to Moby Dick was appropriate, and it made for a better joke. Yeah. Um, the scene after she tips the glass for the first time, when it has the newt in it, and then she tries to tip the glass again with Miss Honey watching. In the movie, she's not able to do it. In the book, she is. Oh. So I, I like that the movie had her fail. Yeah. And then have to go and, like, work at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, too. Yeah, I think that makes That's more a sense. a good change. Yeah. I mentioned that the scene where they go into Miss Trunchbull's house and then the subsequent scene where she gets the doll back are not present in the book. Um, I like those additions. Okay. I think that... Um, well, they add tension that's not really present in the yeah, book, yeah. and they make the story more plot-driven, whereas yeah. the book, is it's kind of episodic, okay. um, rather than being driven by like... An actual... Yeah, an actual kind of singular plot right. line. Right, it's just like, a you know, it's like moments that happened at the school, probably, and like, yeah. you know, like, oh, this is the, the chocolate cake episode, yeah. this is the... And I, and I mean, the the movie is a, a little episodic a little. in that way, but I think that those two scenes did a lot of work for making at least the latter half of it feel plot-driven. They give it more of a through-line plot. They also give a lot of, uh, I would think, unless they do it in other ways in the book, they add a lot of depth to Miss Honey's character, or at least yes. some to her character and her relationship with Miss Trunchbull and... And her relationship with Matilda. And her relationship with Matilda. And the and the ways in which... Because one of the other things that's really interesting about that is how those scenes really help illustrate how Matilda is helping her grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Not just Mrs. Honey helping her. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or sort of being her... her teach, as her teacher. But that... Because she very much... Her impulsivity and her rebellious rebellious nature sort of provides that spark for Miss Honey mm-hmm. that wasn't there that had been beaten out of her over the years by Miss Trunchbull. Matilda still has that. Oh yeah. And provides sure. that to Miss Honey and then Miss Honey is able to sort of find that as the movie goes on. 
Yeah, so a uh, uh, good additions on multiple levels, mm-hmm. plot-wise and character-wise. Yeah. Um, couple small things I like at the end that they make Miss Honey the principal. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's some other teacher in the book, which is dumb. Yeah, it should be Miss Honey. Yeah. Because she's one of the main characters. Yeah. Um, and here's my big thing. That I bet you don't know about the book. That I bet a lot of people don't know about the book. Matilda dies in the end. (laughs) Her powers go away. Oh. Yeah. She gets to skip ahead several grades. And the explanation that they um, surmise is that now that her brain is doing actual work, she no longer has this like access. This extra, yeah, this extra energy and power to work with. So her powers just like kind of fade out. That's I kind of like that. Actually. Which is another thing that makes it feel a little sci-fi. A little more sci-fi. Sci- yeah. Side note yeah. to that. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a throwaway line that doesn't allude to it, but because he does say the narrator says at the end of the film, and she never had to use her powers again. Except now, like yeah, you know, and then she makes the book fly across the room. Right. I mean, the idea is that she doesn't need. She doesn't to. need to. She still does now and yeah. then for you know little things and what or whatever, but she doesn't need to. Yeah. But at the end of the book, it just goes away. She can't do it anymore. And so you say you prefer the movie. I like that she gets to keep her sweet telekinesis powers. <laughs> fair enough. I'm I'm into it. That's I'm fair. down for that. Like. I've mentioned that this is one of my favorite stories. Yeah. It's and it's a story that I, I identify with a lot mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. owing to my own backstory, yes. as it were. Yes. And if I had had telekinesis, <laughs> there would have been a lot of sorry ass bitches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, see, then I I like the. I don't know. I like the idea that. She has the she has the powers, but then she doesn't need them anymore. So she she loses them because she doesn't need them anymore, and because mm-hmm. she's using that energy for other things. To me, there's a beautiful sort of allusion to moving on and yeah. and 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 not needing to. F- I don't know, fights the right word anymore, but being mm-hmm. able to move past that sort of the violent. And again, I'm using violent in, with air quotes, but I mean, it is somewhat, in, you know, the way yeah. she uses her powers is to some extent violent to, I mean, she's literally like beating Miss Trunchbull over the head with stuff and chasing her, you know, to, so, so to some extent. And, and I think there's something nice about the idea that you can fight when you need to fight. You ha- She has those powers, but then once that's no longer necessary, she doesn't need that anymore. And then it's also there's sort of a resolution in that to that part of her life and Mm -hmm. and, and allows her to move forward as a person to some extent. I think there's an interesting message there. No, I I don't disagree. I would just personally want to keep the power. Fair enough. I I don't think anybody would argue with you that it wouldn't (laughs) be cool to still have the telekinesis powers. I just think, I think thematically it's a, I might prefer that from the, from the book personally, but all right. All right. So that's all I have for better in the movie. I have a little thing to add. It's not really better in the movie because for me, I haven't obviously haven't read the book, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a thing I noticed in the movie, and it was a film. If I had watched the movie before we did the prequel episode, I would have talked about this. And the prequel episode is sort of a filmmaking technique, something to look out for when you're watching movies like this. 
that this movie does a lot. Uh, it's Danny DeVito, I think, does it. I I say that I haven't seen. I don't know if I've seen any of his other movies he's directed, but the use of wide angle lenses. So anytime, almost any time you see Miss Trunchbull, and it's a close up of her. They're shooting it with a wide-angle lens. Okay. Here's what that does. Use wide-angle lens. Use wide-angle lens for a lot of reasons. Sometimes you want it to show more of the landscape or... because. Uh, but what it does is it, it distorts the image mm-hmm. when you're using a wide-angle lens. Basically because the field of view is wider than whatever the, the viewfinder or the sensor on your camera, basically. I'm, I'm, I'm butchering this explanation because <laughs> I don't know the exact science of it but roughly basically what it does is it has to the image has to bend and warp slightly mm-hmm. in order to be captured in its entirety so by that, the camera like if you if you take a panoramic with yeah. your phone yes similar okay although i guess nah, it depends because the way panoramics work now well yeah but i'm saying like if you take a panoramic the image is kind of distorted right yeah so yeah, it's, it's like I'll a say yeah, but I don't know. It's different because okay. well, because if you're taking it with your phone, the way because you're like recording, it's we. It, I don't know how that works. So I mean, I know how it works, but it's different. I'm not sure, but it's a similar idea. Yeah, but basically, I think it's just because and part of it has to do with because the way the glass is on a wide angle lens. Okay, sort of a the most extreme version of a wide angle lens is like a fisheye lens mm-hmm. when you see like a lot of like skateboard videos that sort of thing where they use a really wide angle lens. And it does that weird fisheye effect mm-hmm. to where the things in the middle are way uh, are are bigger, mm-hmm. and the things in the foreground are bigger, and then things out on the edges kind of get warped and and look strange. They use a wide angle a lot in this movie, and he mainly exclusively uses it for Miss Trunchbull. Mm-hmm. And you do that. Uh, Terry Gilliam Gilliam did this a lot uh, in his movies, like if you've seen Brazil and that sort of thing. If you shoot, you don't normally want to shoot close ups of people with wide angle lenses because it distorts their face and it makes them look very strange and it's not flattering. Hence why you use it for characters yeah, like the perfect opportunity, like Miss Trunchbull. <laughs> when you want to exaggerate sort of the surreal, the grotesque nature of a character mm-hmm. and make them more monstrous and more off putting. Yeah. You can shoot the close ups of them with a wide angle lens because it will blow up their, it exaggerates features, it stretches your face, it it just doesn't, it looks wrong. Mm-hmm. And you might not even notice it, but if you go back and you watch this movie, anytime they shoot Miss Trunchbull and it's just her or it's a close-up of her, they use a fisheye lens. They also use it on the scene where the kid's eating the chocolate cake. They use it on him as well. That's the only other time I noticed, but they never, that I noticed, and I looked out for this, they never shoot Miss Honey and they never shoot Matilda with a fisheye lens at, mm-hmm. or uh, with a wide angle lens at all mm-hmm. so that they're preserved and sort of they're they're not distorted at all in the way they shoot them I was I mean it's not it's a pretty common thing people yeah. do it in a lot of movies yeah no that's interesting though but it is something that most people don't think about uh that it, but when you watch movies you can look out for it it's it was more popular in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of phased out slightly more recently, but it was a big thing in like the 90s and early 2000s um, to do that. And like I said, Terry Gilliam did it a lot. There's a handful of directors who used it a ton yeah. for certain things. And I, wanna, and I think that's kind of an interesting reflection of um, Roald Dahl's writing, yes. too, because almost always, like almost without fail, his adult characters are very grotesque. They're yeah. caricatures yeah. because he writes from the point of view of children. Yeah. And 
that's how children see adults. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's a good way to portray that on film. Yeah. So, like I said, you watch it uh, if you're rewatching the movie after listening to this or whatever, or just watching any movie because it, like I said, it happens a lot. But just look for that sort of weird. You notice it most more on the edges of the of the frame, but also if it's a if it's an extreme close up of somebody, it's very obvious because their face will look very strange. Well, the reason that looks like that is because they're shooting it with a wide angle lens. So there you go. Fun film fact. We all learned something today. Yep. This has been a very brief segment of learning <laughs> things with this film is late. Um, Let's move on to uh, some general couple things before yeah. we hit the final verdict. Yeah. Let's do that now. There are now. a few things that I want to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about is Danny DeVito. Because I think he's awesome in this movie. Yeah, he's great. I think he was a great narrator. Um, and I thought he was a perfect spot-on depiction of the exact kind of tyrannical asshat yeah. that a person like Mr. Wormwood would be in real life. Yeah, and I don't think I mentioned it in the prequel episode, but they almost cast, or three other actors were considered mm-hmm. before eventually Danny DeVito just like, fuck it, I'll do it myself, <laughs> I think. I don't know exactly how that went, but yeah, yeah. There was three I other actors. I just assumed who were, he wanted to do it himself. That's what I would have thought. But they they said there was I don't remember their names at all for the life of me. But uh, there was three other actors who were considered, mm-hmm. and who knows how far that got along in the process. Yeah, you know, they would consider somebody for all the roles, but uh, yeah. So yeah. it wasn't necessarily going to be Danny DeVito, but then it was. So, and he was perfect. And I had, I had never noticed as a kid that he was also the narrator. Yeah. Like, that was something that I learned much later that shocked me. It's also a strange idea. Yeah, it is. Because he's, you know... Because he's kind of a villain. Well, and it's... But it's it's almost like it's not his character narrating. Like, it's it's just the voice of Danny. You know yeah, what I mean? No, like it it's, is. It totally is. Like, it's not Mr. Wormwood That's what narrating. I mean. But it's strange to have a character in the movie have an actor portray a character in the movie and narrate the film and those not be the yeah. same voice like yeah, they're not the same character it's not the same thing it's very strange kind of strange but but I, I think he does a good job of like making it different enough he does that also feels to me like they tried a bunch of other narrators and danny vito was like <laughs> fuck it i'll do it myself like that's kind of what that feels like like maybe they couldn't get morgan freeman yeah yeah exactly but uh, yeah because it's the same thing where it's like yeah that's weird it actually kind of bothers me in a way, I don't like it's there. He's great in his role as Wormwood. He's great as the narrator, mm-hmm. but it annoys me that he's both and they're not the same. See like, now, uh, like I'm imagining this, this production. I'm imagining Danny DeVito every other day. Like fuck it, I'll just yeah, do it myself. I know that I really get that feeling. Like, you know, you know, she's fine. I'll just do it. I'll just I'll do I'll do the narration. <laughs> Okay, so I had a couple small things. Why would you nail the back door to your house shut? To keep out intruders. I guess. They can't blindside you. She's paranoid <laughs> as shit. They, people can't get uh, in Oh Yeah, there. she is paranoid. I guess that's fair. So she just nails up all the entrances except the front <laughs> door and then... But apparently leaves the front door unlocked while she's gone. Yeah, right. Matilda just walks in. They just walk right in. Um... I want to talk a little bit about the scene where Matilda goes back by herself to retrieve the doll. Um, First of all, and I brought this up while we were watching it, 
Does she eat the fucking chocolate wrapper? <laughs> yeah, Miss Trunchbull does, yeah. Yeah. Not Matilda. Miss Trunchbull eats the chocolate wrapper, 100%. She, like, I've never noticed that before. She, like, puts the whole dang thing in her mouth. That always annoyed me when I was wrapper. a kid. I remember, vividly remember that from being a kid and being, like, because I didn't understand the idea of, like, character choices like that. Yeah. Like, I did, as a kid, I was like, <laughs> is that some weird special chocolate <laughs> with, like, edible paper or, like, what? Like, I didn't get the idea that, like, that's, you know, her character is just like, oh, fuck, yeah. you know, like, I didn't but get she's it. She's very um, animalistic. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot a lot of different choices that show that. Like, she's always sniffing things. Yes, and... she's always sniffing things. And there's a, and I had this in my notes for the segment, there's a very obvious uh, homage to a very famous movie that we will be doing before too long that came out three years before this. Jurassic Park. Was there? I yes. didn't notice. There's okay, the scene. What it was. There's the scene where it's a, it's a scene where Matilda goes back to steal the uh-huh. doll and the chocolates, and the right after Matilda pulls the chocolates out of the window, and then the window shuts. Mr. Trunchbull runs over to the window and sticks her face against the glass oh. and blows a steam or blows yeah. a jet of okay. air, and it condenses on the window, and that's exactly. It's shot almost exactly the same, and it's the same idea as the scene uh, from the kitchen. I think it's the kitchen scene in Jurassic Park where the raptor puts its face on the glass mm-hmm. and goes, and it blows a jet of... And the, huh, it's I totally didn't pick up on that. 100% what that is. Awesome. Yeah. The clock tolling in that scene I thought mm-hmm. was very reminiscent of A Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. Which, and they mentioned Dickens yeah, a couple Dickens, times Yeah, dull, dull chickens. This. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh yeah yeah with the ghost and the or the idea of a go- of right. magnus's ghost and, yeah and the, and the tolling midnight clock and that sort of stuff yeah. yeah um the other thing that i never like thought of when i was watching this as a kid matilda like literally gaslights her yeah <laughs> like the flickering lights and everything yeah, yeah pretty much one thing I had that I thought was a really interesting choice, and I guess I could have put discussed this with the white angle lens and the better to film thing. Did you notice? And I never noticed this before, but I would say through most of the movie, if not all, I mean, there's not. This isn't true for every scene, but most of it. Miss Honey and Matilda, when they speak, and especially when they speak to each other, speak almost at a whisper. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, especially I noticed that more with Miss Honey. Miss Honey, but Matilda does as well. And when they're speaking to each other, it mm-hmm. is a lot. And that is in stark contrast to everything the worm would say yeah. and everything this Trunchbull says. Yeah, it's just all yelled. Always yelling. All the time. And I thought that was an interesting choice mm-hmm. because it is a, they're like I said, they're borderline whispering. Like, they are talking so quiet to each other, mm-hmm. uh, and, and especially Miss Honey. And obviously, the, you know, the sort of, you're portraying the idea of their, her sort of meek and, and unassuming, and she's had sort of her, with Miss Honey, she's had her rebellious nature beaten right. out of her yeah. over the course of her life, so she always... She's got untreated trauma. Yes, yes, <laughs> she needs, it's true, she really, she, she needs to see somebody. <laughs> That would be a nice little moment, a nice little nod at the end of the movie if they're just like, and this honey is going to a counselor once a week because <laughs> boy, she needed to talk to somebody. Because <laughs> yeah, guess she's what? She's confiding in like a six year old. Yeah, it's a little bit unhealthy. <laughs> a little bit unhealthy, but 
you know, it's a it's a book. It's a it's a fairy tale, so I guess I get it, but not the healthiest of things. But she's fixed because she saw her childhood bully chased from the halls by kids with food. So she's oh my fixed. god! They threw whole pieces of fruit at her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she a kid with like an orange. Oh, that yeah. would hurt. Yeah, yeah. They they totally did. And this is this gets me to my final note I had, which was Matilda versus fascism. Discuss. <laughs> I really feel like we could do a whole fucking video essay about sort of the uh, whether on purpose or not political messages and themes in this. Well, in this movie, I don't know. I mean, I think we're getting into kind of a sticky thing there because a lot of Roald Dahl's literature is like that. And a lot of children's literature is like that. Yeah, Because what are adults to children but fascists? Right. Yeah. And and, and there's, there's not much of a more distinct good versus evil sort of. Yeah. Narrative is necessary, you know, or for lack of a better word. But just literally, you know, she's a a, a brown suited yeah. uh, authoritarian mm-hmm. who rules tyrannically. She and, carries around a riding crop. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I just thought it was it's sort of interesting in that. And in something about the final scene when all of the students, I don't want to say violently, but for lack of a better word, somewhat violently pretty reject violent. Yeah. her fascism, yeah. I thought was. I, mean, yeah, I don't know. Matilda's kind of like the the real the rebellion leader who yeah. spurs her people to action. I thought it was a little uh, I don't know, interesting, <laughs> uh, poignant, timely, what have you. I don't know. I it 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 struck me in a way that it never would have as a child. Mm-hmm. And I again, I that there's a lot more and a lot of nuance to that would that would have take a lot more uh, research and thinking and writing to to sort of flush that out and have that discussion and and sort of talk about it. Yeah. Right. It's, a, it's a sticky and complicated com- not sticky it's a complicated conversation it's, it's complicated and i mean and you wouldn't think of it that way as a child no obviously. no of course as a not. child of course you're just not. thinking of everyone who shits on you and living vicariously right. through this right right i like i said i just now looking on it I, it really struck me in that moment and i just i was like hmm something something here Something I think we could easily do the works of Roald Dahl That's as true. anti-fascist. Yes, probably. That's fair. It seems unsurprising. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> Matilda versus fascism. Which she's, is kind of perfect. She's the hero we deserve. She is. It's which is so <laughs> what is so great and amazing about Mara Wilson. Her I literally looked it up. Mara Wilson's actual Twitter handle right now is Mara Get Rid of the Nazis Wilson. <laughs> so Oh, uh, you know, like um, all the like T-shirts and stuff that have been out within the last year or so. Like, what would Hermione do? Right. We need what would Matilda do? What would Matilda the, do? Yeah. She fucking. She would fuck she a would bitch n- up. She has no chill for fascists. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, it's so perfect. And then the fact that the girl that played her, the, uh, the actress that played her, is uh, sort of leading the Twitter. I'd say leading part of that the the Twitter hashtag resistance. I thought was uh yeah was funny let's move on to final verdict now uh, are you ready for your sentence sentence but there must be a verdict first sentence first verdict afterward all right 
So before I get to my final verdict, I want to say really quick, Roald Dahl died in 1990. And admittedly, I think that is part of the reason why we got this movie. Because he disliked Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory so much that there were no more adaptations of his works within his lifetime. Um, It wasn't until after he died that his, his estate started to open up more to that idea. But it makes me sad because I think he really would have liked this adaptation. Um, It's very faithful and it does a good job of, um, it gets the characters really spot on um, and and it does a good job of like representing the kind of similar viewpoint of a child. and it also does a really good job of kind of capturing like the zany unbelievability that's still somehow totally believable within a Roald Dahl story. And it also makes really good changes to the source material. Which is why I have to go with the movie for this one. Don't get me wrong, I love the book. But I think the movie makes really good changes to that material. And I think he would have liked it. I agree. I uh, I'm glad movies are making a bit of a comeback in the <laughs> in the tally here. But <laughs> I completely agree. I on rewatching was reminded of how delightful of a movie this is. Mm-hmm. How amazing all of the themes and messages are. It's rare for a 1996 made film to not have anything problematic in it even a kids movie yeah and this movie doesn't it's just very pure and and not even that all of the messages and themes are just as applicable today as they were in 1988 as they were in 1996 which is true of most great literature Mm -hmm. obviously but a lot of times the new are the little things in kids movies that they change or that they add that date yeah movies like that can make a kid's movie that was really good in 1994 sort of not work in 2018. This movie had none of that, barring the one bad CG. And that's not even, that's just a technical thing. It's not a... Yeah, there are things that date it, but there's nothing that makes it bad. There's nothing that makes it... dated. Yeah, there's nothing that makes it bad as dated. There's nothing about the themes or the ideas that are dated. They all are just as important and just as pure for lack of a better word now Mm -hmm. as they were then and again as they probably as they were in 1988 when the book came out so it's yeah it's it's pretty much timeless and it it really is just delightful film like it's just i think it really does do a perfect job of telling a story that little kids can engage with Mm -hmm. and really get something out of without talking down to them yes yes (laughs) and it's uh it's it's wonderful chalk another one up for the movies matilda read the book watch the movie go see the musical if you can there you go tell us about it yep katie (laughs) what's the next movie slash book the next thing we are doing is a definite foray into sci-fi we will be talking about 
the Stepford Wives. Ah, yes. I've never seen nor read. Neither have I. I have the book, and it's not very long, which I'm excited about. Cool. Yeah, I. This will be interesting. I. I mean, I. I know. I know more about what the idea of yeah. what it is than I do about anything to do with the story or what. Yeah, I know what the premise is, but that's about all I know. Yeah. Who who who's the author? Do we know? Um, Ira Levin. Okay. Mm, doesn't, doesn't ring a bell to me, so <laughs> we'll see. That's our next episode. Uh, well, actually, there will be a prequel episode. There's still going to be a, an Avengers Infinity War spoiler episode at some point here. We're getting around to that. We were busy. We had a lot going on this weekend, so we didn't get to it. But it's gonna. we're going to do it this week. So look <laughs> for that. And then on the prequel episode, we're going to talk about some... Uh, we'll have to come up with a... A fun new thing to learn about in The Stepford Wives and maybe a review of something if we get around to watching any movies before then. If not, we'll just be doing our Learning With This Film Is Lit segment. As always, you can find us on all of the social media and just search This Film Is Lit. Also, if you could do us a favor, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you download and listen to our delightful podcast. Give us a review. Give us a rating. All of it helps. I think that's it. I think it is. Until next time, guys, gals, not by everybody else. Keep reading books, keep watching movies, keep being awesome. Be like Matilda. Matilda.